0: Welcome back to the Forward Podcast. This is Lance Armstrong, your host. You guys have a good week? I had, crazy, had kind of a crazy, hectic week. I think I mentioned um, last week's podcast that I was doing some travel and went up to Dallas and off to Seattle for some speeches. Uh, by the way, uh, how great was the Shep Gordon podcast? I mean, that... I got a lot of comments about it and a lot of um, I know that we had a lot of downloads on it, but uh I think it was worth it. The guy was just such an interesting interesting guy. So thanks for tuning in to him. Hey, speaking of Dallas, so I I went up there to speak. I spoke at the uh at what they call TBI, the Triathlon Business International event. It's their sort of annual session that they do all the or at least most of the stakeholders in the sport of try and in and around that uh and i did a moderated session with with an old friend of mine and and kind of a triathlon icon guy by the name of dan Emfield. known dan a really long time um dan i love you but you're a quirky dude so i'm just going to say you're a quirky dude but i love you i'll repeat that uh so for you guys that want to um you know we never planned uh to put it up but i think everybody in the room thought it went uh, went pretty well, so I know that Dan's website, SlowTwitch.com, dot com, slowtwitch, just like it sounds, SlowTwitch.com, dot uh, com, actually posted uh, the entire uh, session that he and I did. So if you're interested to uh, to go see it, you can check it out on their website. I thought it went well. I didn't know really what to expect. I knew I always know that when I walk in a room like that, um, it's it's never. Um, You know, going to be a bed of roses. So, um, I I was pleased and uh, pleased with the discussion. So, uh, give give it, give it a listen and a look. See if you, uh, if you got a spare hour outside of the hour that you're going to spend with me and Neil DeGrasse Tyson for this week. Um, Speaking of this week, you got the Super Bowl coming up. I'm sure people are excited about that. And actually. I have a I have a, a a message for every general manager in the NFL, right? And I'll just go back to probably one of the first guests that I had on this podcast was Thomas Dimitrov, who's the uh, the general manager of the Atlanta Falcons, and at the time, his job was on the line. He was constantly under fire. Their team underperformed last year, um, but. But he came on this podcast and and i just, I think and thomas uh, he hasn't totally confirmed it, but I think it turned it around for him and turned it around for the Falcons, so uh we are going to the Super Bowl uh, as a guest of Thomas's It's me I'm going with Anna and myself and my little guy max and my my older son Luke, and everybody's so excited um, but i got I have to just be totally honest and although I'm there with Thomas and the Falcons. There is a part of me that that, really, that kind of wants to see Roger Goodell hand that trophy to Tom Brady. You know what I'm talking about, and you know I you know why I'm why I'm talking about it. Uh, I, I just I just want to see that. Speaking of the Super Bowl, yeah, you obviously you can bet on the Super Bowl who wins, who loses, uh, you know, over over unders, all these things. But you guys ever checked out these prop bets? So here, here's some prop bets for you. <clears throat> Um, odds that the power goes out in the stadium, 99 to 1. Odds that the goalposts fall down, 5,000 to 1. How about some odds that the pyrotechnics start uh, a fire in the stadium, 499 to 1. Odds there's a Microsoft tablet malfunction, 6 to 1. Odds that there's a brawl on the field, 150 to 1. Odds that a fan streaks down the field, 4 to 1. I mean, you can bet on anything. Um, Odds that there's a brawl in the stands amongst fans, one to five. Yeah, that's going to happen. Broadcast prop bets, over under on the length of the broadcast, 215 and a half minutes. I mean, who thinks of these things? Over under on the number of times Fox shows stars are shown in the crowd during the broadcast, one in five. Over under on references to Tom Brady and Matt Ryan being, quote, similar, one in five. It's like who thinks of these things, anyways. Um, we're excited. We're excited. We'll see. You Maybe we'll see. You. Maybe we'll be on TV. Uh, before I get um, to introducing Neil deGrasse Tyson, I want to talk about two other things. One, I just uh, just last weekend I, I did uh, my really. I guess it was my second ever gravel grind. They call them gravel grinders, like a gravel race. Which is uh, it's interesting. It's it's not a mountain bike race. It's not a road race. It's it's. I did it on a cyclocross bike, so you have you know, beefier tires, lower tire pressure. Obviously, the bike doesn't ride as 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 fast. Um, but I had never done one, so I went up to North Texas, where I'm sort of where I'm from, a little north and west of Plano. But uh, and I did I did an event called the Texas Chain Ring Massacre, and uh, a bunch of people came out for it. It was really cold and windy, but it was a great day and. Uh, I gotta say that, that level of fun ought to be banned. Talk about banned. I mean, it was, I had such a good time and ended up, I mean, obviously, um, it was, it was very hard, much harder than I thought it would be. But I tell you what, I left with a smile on my face and had a smile on it the whole time. It was, it was cool. So thanks to, uh, the promoter up there, Spinistry, uh, for having me out and, um, putting on such a great event, great course. Um, and look forward to coming back last thing and this is important to me and and to most of us in the Austin cycling community um, and I I put up a video on Facebook recently as well as Instagram and other uh, socials Um, last week a young man by the name of Tommy Ketterhagen was uh, was killed while he was out training on his bike he was 19 years old he lived in a suburb uh, of Austin called Georgetown so just sort of northeast of town um it was you know later in the day 5:36 o'clock and he was uh he was hit and killed and um you know there for a few days they the the unfortunately the driver did not stop uh but fortunately they have now um found and arrested the driver um but but most importantly uh our thoughts and prayers and condolences go out to the Ketterhagen family the mom and the dad uh, Tommy had seven siblings. So Mr. and Mrs. Ketterhagen had eight children. Unfortunately now they have seven. Um so if if you get a minute, uh first of all, just, just keep them in your thoughts. And secondly, if if you just go back through the socials, you'll see uh the GoFundMe page that they put up to support uh the family and the expenses in and around that. Uh must be an awfully, awfully tough time. So Tommy Rest in peace. And to all you listening, if you're a bike rider, just be safe. Just uh, keep your eyes and ears open. It's, 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 it's a dangerous sport we do sometimes. My guest this week, this is a really interesting, I think most of you uh, will find him very, very interesting. He's an astrophysicist. But he's not just an astrophysicist. He is arguably a rock star astrophysicist. He's the only astrophysicist that goes on Stephen Colbert. That goes on, Bill Maher. He's 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 that guy, and he was. This is a really. I'll make this very quick. But he was coming to Austin to speak. Uh, he does these because he's a rock star. He travels around and he does quote unquote gigs. Well, he had a gig in Austin, and I opened the paper one morning. I don't know whenever last week, and I saw that he was coming to Austin. I thought, how do I? Um, I gotta get I gotta get in touch with this guy, and so. Uh, I was like, okay, well, let me check Twitter. Does he follow me on Twitter? He didn't follow me on Twitter. And I didn't follow him. So then how do I find him? So, well, who does he follow? So I start I start looking down the list of people that he follows. And you know, sure enough, I come across Michael Shermer, who's uh, another great guy that he follows and I follow. So I immediately uh, sent Michael Shermer a DM. Michael, thank you for responding. I said, hey, you've got to put me in touch with, with uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. He sent me his cell phone number. The astrophysicist is en route to Austin. I am texting with him and I said, listen, how about you come on my podcast? He said, great, I'd love to. This thing came together in a matter of, I don't know, four or five hours. It was totally crazy. And I loved the conversation. I think you all will enjoy it. Um, He's way, way too smart for me. I'm the dude that barely squeaked out of high school. Um, But he talks about these very complicated, complex things in a way that a person that barely squeaked out of high school can listen to it. Um, so, without further ado, please enjoy Neil deGrasse Tyson. Neil, thank you for being here. Thanks.
1: Thanks. Uh, fun senior digs here in Austin.
0: I know. And, and, and just so and the listeners know that a lot of these we do down in the wine cellar.
1: So- I wouldn't only have agreed to it under those conditions
0: (laughs) just me texting the photo was it that's what did it
1: that's i saw the photo and i said i want to be interviewed there
0: (laughs) the uh uh well we should talk about wine but let's let's talk about that in a second but i um i feel a little inadequate because i i must confess i barely made it out of high school oh and and so i mean i think that's maybe a little bit of an exaggeration or not Mm -hmm. and now you know talking to one of the brightest astrophysicists in the world that's a little odd.
1: Well, no, it's not a—so think about the people who are some of the, the greatest shakers and movers of our lives and of our culture. You know, look at, look at Michael Dell, who didn't graduate college. Um, uh, Bill Gates didn't graduate college. Um, the person who's responsible for, what is it, three out of the top ten highest-grossing films of all time. Uh, he he was basically a flunky an academic flunky mm-hmm. but certainly had ambition in his life just not aligned with the grades and the exams that we've uh, require of us in a K through 12 of course I'm, I'm talking about um, uh, our guy who did Terminator and Titanic and, oh, and uh,
0: uh, James Cameron yeah, yeah James Cameron, James Cameron and, right
1: uh, yeah. has very modest academic background and so so it's easy speaking as an academic to say everyone should be academically whatever and maybe it's not for everyone maybe people have ambitions that don't align in that way and i I'd like to think that if you do have some academic background then it's 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 kind of insurance against a shift in the job marketplace but if not and you can still be hugely creative and and um uh, uh, creative and resourceful. Right. My gosh, there's no limit. Yeah, and you, especially found, in a free society. Right, and you found. I mean, we're we're
0: going to get into that. You found science, and I found a bicycle somewhere along. Yeah, the that. right. which is.
1: Yeah, and who you know you, at an early age, who is anyone else to step in the way of someone's ambitions, not knowing how far they will take them.
0: Yeah, and you always knew. I, I, I saw a clip where you said when you were nine years old, somebody yeah. said to you or you had decided and one day somebody said what do you want to be a kid when you grow up and you said I want to be an astrophysicist yeah
1: that kind of freaked some people out because yeah. I, I, I think there, there's a there's an expectation that at that age you're drawing from the, the normal playlist of jobs right doctor lawyer you know as they say Indian chief teacher and a teacher right? and so this was not drawn from that portfolio and it took it, it shocked people a little bit especially back then. I'm just some little dark-skinned kid, you know, who uses the word astrophysics. And they say, oh, no, you'll be much better as a basketball player. or as a There were forces back then trying to lure me away from my actual ambitions. But my ambitions were deep enough so that none of that even mattered. Right, obviously. And I, I bet every successful person, yourself included, unless you're the exception, uh, can tell stories of those who lacked the confidence that you carried within yourself yeah. and would tell you to do something else, or tell you not, won't succeed. Or try to steer you a different way. Try to steer you okay. a different way. Yeah. And uh, I'm glad there's such a thing as ambition and drive and and perseverance. Without it, we would just be... In rebellion. We, we, yeah. <laughs> we would just be uh, succumb to the whims of others yeah. who have decided for themselves what we should be. So as the,
0: as the guy who barely sneaks out of high school talking to... The world's most famous scientist. I, I was just looking online, and and you had this discussion on Reddit with with your fans, and and I call them fans. Like you, you got like fans, and I know your wife's here in Austin with you, so I won't call them groupies because I know you <laughs> must have some groupies because it's it's. Rabid. I my wife here
1: in Austin. Well, I know we were that's both in graduate which is school. so crazy. Yeah.
0: She's from Alaska. You're from the Bronx, and you meet in Austin, and now you're married with kids. Like. I don't even know how the fuck that happened, but, <laughs> but so here's, here's a question somebody throws out to you, and here's, I'm, this is the question, and me, the, the barely high school graduate, is going to read the answer. Okay. It says, what is your favorite short science fact you like to tell people to really make them think? And you say, well, that our body that our body's atoms are traceable to supernova stars that scattered their chemical enrichment across the cosmos, spawning the birth of star systems that contain planets at least one of them containing life.
1: So I read that,
0: and I'm like, what?
1: Yeah, well, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's that's how the universe rolls. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there, there's some other... Fa- that's a more sort of deep cosmic fact that, by the way, was not known. Uh, you know, that 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 fact came out, uh, what, it was from the 1940s, 1950s. So that's, that's a 70-year-old fact. That has not been known since antiquity. We had to discover that stars manufacture the heavy elements. If you're in your chemistry class long ago and said, "Uh, Professor, where do these elements come from? They'll say, well, we dig them out of the Earth. Okay, well, where did they come from before they're in the Earth? The conversation stops there. You need astrophysics to give you the complete origin Mm. of these elements from the periodic table. And we learned through calculations and through measurements and through observations that these elements are manufactured in the cores of stars across the galaxy and across the universe and they wouldn't be of much use if they stayed inside the star it happens that those very same stars explode thus scattering their enrichment across the galaxy and you get the ingredients that make things like rocks Silicon, oxygen, nitrogen, carbon—carbon carbon as a main ingredient in life. The sticky parts. Okay. That, yeah, that's yes. Carbon is the stickiest element there is. And I
0: only know that because I watched a lot about your life today, <laughs> okay. a lot of your interviews, and read a lot about you. I feel like I went to like the like the like the NDT University today.
1: Well, thank you. I'm I'm honored you do that much homework. Not necessary. We a lot could have come out just in conversation. By the way, so let me offer another little tidbit fact that's not cosmic. On scale, this is more local, but it still kind of makes you think. Mm. So um, if you look at one centimeter of your colon, okay? Okay. I've never done that. <laughs> we have never done that, okay. I'm, 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 I'm trying to picture it. Okay, so one linear centimeter of your colon contains more microbes than the total number of human beings who have ever been born. Wow. And we like to think that we're in charge. Yeah, you know, and from the point of view of those microbes, we're just this this anaerobic, dark vessel of fecal matter for them to live and work in. Oh, I feel so,
0: What a compliment.
1: <laughs> How
0: do you feel today, Lance? Well, I feel like a, an
1: anaerobic, dark bunch of fecal matter. Other than that, I'm good. You're good. We're, we good. We good. Uh, so there's the hubris of, hum- <laughs> of what it is to be human, that we are somehow some pinnacle of evolution or that... The brain is the most important organ ever evolved. It's certainly different from the organs of other animals. A, a, a condor has a 12-foot wingspan. How far is your wingspan? Well, you don't even have wings. So if the condor made the tree of life and they had condor hubris, they would they would rank everybody by how wide their wings are, and they would pity poor humans who could only walk around on Earth's surface. Yeah. So uh, part of what it is to carry a cosmic perspective is to— is to step back away from the things that you might otherwise value and think are special and important. They might be special and important to you, but cosmically speaking, they might just be just one way life manifests. Right. And once you see that, then you can, it helps you rebalance things that might distract you in a day.
0: And I, and and I wanted to talk about cosmic perspective because I, I saw and I don't know if this is part of a larger discussion we get into later, but your post-election, now we have a new president. I saw your bit on Colbert where you you talk about this idea of cosmic perspective and how maybe it's easier for some people to just pull so far away. You're just looking down at this, this speck. Um, so it, 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 yeah. I mean, we can get into that. Well, let, well, Let's just get into that now. I mean, well, I just, it's just because I have feelings about this. Oh, I, I would love to hear your feelings. Well, my—I'll say mine real quick, and then you—you—you you, you tell what I love feelings, uh, right? My feeling, and I talk about it lot, this on the podcast because it was so much emotion and and raw energy and anger and emotion about this election. Wh- whatever, I'm not trying to pick a side here. I try to stay neutral. But my view of this thing, because it was so different, although I appreciated what you said to Colbert, this cosmic perspective where you're you're just out there looking down, going, "Oh, look at those little people, those fecal matters
1: running around." <laughs> Right. Well, it's not, what it's, are they so worried about? It's not so much that I'm out there looking down. No, but we somebody. all have access to this perspective. Right. And see so where
0: I always go to it is like, okay, my perspective and you can help me out here is that I, I, i sort of consider myself the president, right. And Nana's the vice president and I have five children and those are my constituents. And that's, I have to govern that. Mm-hmm. So you have me, this very micro thing. And then, and then when I heard you say it today, I was like, you know, that's a perfect balance. Because the shit in the middle, it's like, come on. It no, just drives me actually crazy. There's a difference,
1: there's, if, if I may. You can. There's a difference between the actual president of the United States and you being president of your family. The difference is the electorate grants the power of the presidency to the person who is elected to that position. Mm-hmm. Whereas you, as father of a family, you are not given that power by those who you govern you basically took it <laughs> right. just by, by uh, yeah, yeah, being a yeah, parent. I forced them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. basically yeah. you have that because you are parent, not because they allow you to. Hmm. So the remarkable thing about this democracy, this republic in which we live, is constitutionally hmm. all power that is exercised over us, we grant to those people yeah. who do so. And that's an extraordinary fact. It means we can take away the power, yep. if we choose. Yep. Whereas your kids can't take away your fatherhood. Uh, no, that's the. That's, no. that's, that's why I'm just making that distinction. Teenage girls, there's some days that they want to. <laughs> How old are your kids? Uh, I have two sophomores. Oh no, two juniors. One in college, one in high school. So you. Get so it. yeah, you 20 get it. and 16. Yeah, yeah.
0: You, you guys get it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we get some of that. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, Are you worried? But are at the you? end of the day, we still yeah. like buy them their next iphone right and so so there's some respect that still has to come back our way when the time comes (laughs) intermittently yeah they don't forget those things (laughs) yeah
0: but i mean uh, i'm not worried about i don't think i don't know if you're worried or not about i don't think you're worried about your kids but are you worried about despite having a cosmic perspective and and you know whatever else i mean you got to be are you stressed about the, the the situation about the future about the future, yeah. I mean, let, yeah. So, let's just be, so, yeah. I'm on on so many levels. On yeah, a scientific level, on a on a that's, climate change. That's a great question. And a fair question.
1: Um, I'm I'm a little more like okay about things, right? So, here's here's how I view it. Uh, there are people who are like totally jumping all over Trump. Say, Trump, you're this, you're that, you're misogynist, you're dangerous, and okay. I think those same people are forgetting that whatever is the number, fifty million people, whatever is the number, voted for him. Correct. So whatever is your gripe with the president-elect, it's actually your gripe with fellow citizens yep. of the very same country that you're a citizen of. So you felt your fellow, it's the electorate who are citizens of your country. Right. All right. And we're all sort of participating in this exercise in democracy. So if you don't want someone such as Trump elected, your gripe is with your fellow countrymen. That's my only point. And so that's why you'll never see me beating politicians over the head. If they're duly elected, representing some community who wants to be represented, that's how the system is supposed to work. Mm. So for me, I'm kind of the opposite of a lobbyist. Lobbyists get in there, get the job done with the person who has the power, and they bypass the electorate. In doing so, I cannot in all sincerity behave that way. I just can't do it. Um, I respect the system enough so that as an educator, I will try to educate the public so that they will value the things that will protect our future, protect our our nation, our security, protect the world, protect our species, protect civilization itself. So now, that being said, I look around at basically people 30 and under, and I say, wow, this demographic, they, they have more science literacy than any previous demographic that I've ever seen. And it manifests in many ways. You know, they're the ones going to those movies that are featuring scientists. Mm-hmm. You look at the, the support that the movie The Martian got. The Martian. The Martian. The Martian. Right. Oh, my gosh. That movie was just full of scientists played by marquee actors with a marquee director with a marquee budget. All right. Who would have thought? You could do this. You have the number one show on television, the Big Bang Theory. Though they be caricatures, they are nonetheless actors playing actual scientists. And not the kind with the wire haired and the lab coat where you only go up to them and say, Doc, is the world going to end or not? Okay, thank you. Now let me get on with regular people, Mm. right? Because you're not a regular person. So, the humanization of scientists, I think, is an important transition that has happened in our media over recent decades and has made science more accessible, more real to people. and and in my field, in particular, go into the bookstore and look at shelves with science books on them. There'll be a bit of a shelf with some geology and some biology. But the universe, it is shelf after shelf after shelf. People care about, like black holes and the big bang and is there god you know all these questions come together and i think of my field as a gateway hmm. field for people to be interested in other sciences as well so i have hope that and high expectation that the 30 and under demographic are they the millennials i forgot what word i don't think they are yeah whatever it is i have a i have a word i want to call them i want to call them generation exoplanet because <laughs> they've been around <laughs> Their whole lives, they've come of age in a time when we've known about planets orbiting other stars.
0: Right. Okay, so if you haven't told anybody else that, that if you haven't dubbed, you haven't said... I've tried, it hasn't caught on. Okay, well I- then let's hope it catches on here because I want, you know, that label... That Generation you just- exoplanet. Okay, that happened here on the 4th. Okay. <laughs> this podcast is called The 4th, that happened here.
1: Basically, people born in the 90s. Yeah. Uh, these are the 30 and under folk. And is that right? Twenty? Yeah, they're just just under thirty. Yeah. Uh, they have a certain science literacy that I'm proud of, yep. and these are the people who who go to Comic Cons. Oh my gosh, yeah. Comic Con! Yeah, people are dressed weirdly. Yes, but they know the difference. Be, you know, they they got Spock ears and carrying. You know, but they know the difference between fantasy and reality. And that in that segment of our population in, yes. in America.
0: Compare that to – compare the Chinese and the Indians and the –
1: are we level with them? Are we behind? So all data on this shows that we lag behind other developed nations Mm. in every important metric of science and mathematical literacy. So that's a problem. Mm. And I've I've asked myself this, and I said, how could we have trailed for so long and not just be completely over the edge of a cliff by now? And then I have my own hypothesis here. I haven't really – Experimented on this and tested it, but I'll put it on the table between us just so you can chew on it as well. I ask myself (laughs) if you're if you're visiting a mall and there's a kid who jumps out of a stroller and starts screaming, and the parent says, No, shh, come back in the door. No, I don't want I want her to that's an American kid. Okay. (laughs) That is not a European kid. That is not a kid from Asia. That is not a kid from anywhere else in the world. We have the most misbehaved children i have ever seen okay and i don't think i'm the only observer of this fact and so then i thought to myself in the long run what does this mean how does this manifest Mm -hmm. what it means is in america the younger generation i have found has less respect for the authority of elders than what you find in other cultures whoa i I think that's
0: I think that's fair. I don't think that's,
1: that's right. a controversial sentence. No. If I'm wrong, I'm just wrong. Tell me I'm wrong, and we go on to the next topic. But if I'm right... Well, I don't know if you're right or wrong, but I would, right. I, I would but tend I, to I'm, agree. This is just, like I said, I haven't done the official experiment. These are my casual observations of human conduct. Yep. Okay? So here in America, you kind of have to not respect the views of your elders if you're going to have an idea that they've never had before. If you're going to invent something that comes out of a place that the people who trained you to think know nothing about, that requires a little bit of irreverence, just a little bit of devil may care. Mm. And maybe that, that aspect of the youth of America is enough to make up for the fact that we lag behind the rest of the world in these metrics for math and science excellence but now we have the capacity to innovate yep. because to innovate requires that you see what everyone else sees but think the way no one else has thought and you need the freedom to be able to have that that latitude of behavior mm. So I wonder this yep. whether that's what kept that's what's kept us alive mm. that bit of irreverence. So this next generation I see science literacy they're 30 and under so they're not old enough to be senators or or, or or president or CEOs yet, but I don't know how often you have the older generation saying, I can't wait till the youngins take over. Everything will be better. That's how I feel right now. Yeah. And I don't know if any, any older generation has ever said that about a younger generation. Hmm. Interesting
0: times. How much have you ever thought about, looked at, worked on the issue of cancer in America,
1: or cancer in the world, really? Uh, you know, it's it's the it scourge seems like of our time. Yeah. I haven't, I, I've... Obviously, it's let, very near let me and tell you me. this. I, um, I think of cancer and I think of addiction, mm. two two forces in modern life that just rob people of their health, of their productivity, of their ambitions, and and I think to myself, here I am. You know, I'm a scientist, I'm an astrophysicist, and I spend all these hours in a day contemplating black holes and time travel and the Big Bang and Pluto, and these people suffering. Mm. And so part of me carries a little bit of guilt where I have this power of mind not directly being applied to some of our biggest problems that we face as a civilization. And so, then I say to myself, okay, well, um, how have some other problems been solved before? Yeah. Well, I think, the person who invented the microscope wasn't thinking, oh, I'll be able to see disease coming before you even get it. They're not thinking that. Oh, I got a new optical device, and I can see little things. So, it turns out innovation, whether or not it is direct motivated by solving a problem, in essentially every case it has ever happened, has been able to be applied in ways that do solve problems mm. by clever engineers who see the scientific discovery and say, you know, if I configure it this way and then that way, I can make the machine do something that no that no machine has done before. Yeah. So take, for example, the MRI, the magnetic resonance imager that's really invoking nuclear magnetic resonance, but it has the (laughs) N-word. so You can't use the N-word in a hospital. It it scares people, nuclear. So they took that out. Uh, So it's magnetic resonance imaging. That is based on a principle of physics discovered by a physicist who happened to be my physics professor in college. And that physicist had no interest or knowledge or concern for medicine. But it involved principles that could then be applied. So you're going to tell him, don't, study nuclear transitions in molecules in space because we need that intellect in the lab so that we can cure disease, are you going to tell him that? He would have never made the discovery. Mm-hmm. So you let people explore unknowns because it's the conquering of these unknowns that brings entire, entire frontiers of understanding to, to bear on the problem solving that others are doing clever like i said clever engineers and technologists yeah. so yes i study the universe willingly knowing that the act of studying the unknown as a thing can have a have extraordinary impact on the problems that we face in society right, but just by watching
0: i watched one of the episodes of cosmos and watching all of, you know all the stuff online today it's so much of you know talk about cells and DNA and and you know it, this is what it is is those things that just go bad and group together and get bigger and boom you have a problem and then you have you know this is obviously a very complicated you know issue that that you know that I know all too well but yeah I mean it's 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 uh yeah you don't have the cure for cancer but
1: yeah no sorry <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> Do <laughs> you ask everyone you bring into the wine
0: cellar? You got a cure for cancer? Yeah. Uh, I, no. This would be the most popular podcast in the world if some, the, the, <laughs> the minute somebody shows
1: up and says, "Oh, by the way, Lance, <laughs> here I, it is." I haven't told anybody yet. <laughs> let me let me write it down on the on the thing. Yeah. So uh, I I'd like to think I, I'm going to sound cliche here. Yep. I'd like to think of cancer as something that worries us greatly today. That in some ca- short countable number of decades in the future, we'll look back on and say, "Oh, back then." Right. Cancer was the scourge of of civilization. In the same way, we look back in the you know in 1900, and people you know, were di- were dying of tuberculosis, yeah. you know, or, yeah, I hope so. or or some other disease, or or the, the bubonic plague. I mean, that's just a pill today, right. but the bubonic plague took out you know major swaths of the population of Europe in centuries past. So, so that, by the way, of course, that requires science and investments, uh, innovative research from investments right. on the entire frontier of science that's right so to the extent that we are fostering a society where people either distrust science or reject science or choose to believe whatever they want regardless of what science tells them that is the beginning of the end of an informed democracy and when that happens we just all i'd say this we should all just move back to the cave because that's where we're headed because <laughs> you believe at some
0: point we're going to live
1: forever uh, so I don't I don't go around thinking what I believe or what I don't, but what I will say is that it is completely within realistic trajectories based on what's happening now that one day we could find out why it is we age and you just, could live to 200. Yeah, that could probably I don't see why that wouldn't happen. That's by the way, we if we have that power, we should be figure out how to manage that mm, right because if you don't die, then that changes the equations for the projected population of the earth. Right. right so, obviously. so, so when gets, we say, it gets, gets real crowded, 9 billion by whatever, that assumes we you're going to die in your eighties or whatever. Right. Okay. That, that makes some fundamental assumptions about your life expectancy. If everyone starts living to 200, we, we, we better figure out how to terraform Mars because we earth is not going to sustain. It's not that we can't, there's not room to stand on earth. You could fit everybody on Earth, but can you feed everybody on Earth? Can you supply the resources that we all need, the water, clean water, food, energy? This is a whole other issue. So, yeah, you need multiple planets. And until that happens, living forever is not in our best interest. Not only that, I, I've been asked, well, do I want to live forever? And not really. You know why? You told Larry, I watched it. Actually. It's because knowing that I'm going to die Yeah, That's what gives... You- Extraordinary meaning to every day I wake up. Yeah, and you told
0: him because I watched. I Who's watched to him. him? I, I, uh, Larry. King. Larry King. Yeah, so yeah. You, you, I watched like a seven minute clip of this. Okay, and you say because you had this discussion about living forever and 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 your view. And I'm just retelling you what you already said. But your view is that if you knew you were going to live forever, you would never get out of bed. You'd be like, oh, I got, I can do it tomorrow. Or I could the ability. There's always a tomorrow to, to procrastinate. Is there? But you said, look, I want to. I know I'm going to die, and I'm I'm comfortable with that. And you say. And I want to read this. You, this is what you say you want on your tombstone, because I fucking love this quote. Okay. Uh-huh. And, it's, and it's it's, it's a, a quote from Horace Mann, yep. who I, I, I don't know, obviously. You say, and you want this on your tombstone, be ashamed to die until you have scored some victory for humanity. Right.
1: I believe I got that right. Yeah, that that's that's correct. Be and ashamed to die until you've be scored. Be ashamed to die until, until you, you have scored some victory for humanity. Yeah, amazing. Right. And uh, that's I mean, that's another way of saying try to leave the world a little better of course. off for you having been in it. Yeah. And think of how many people have come through where the world is worse off for them having been in it, and you then you takes generations to recover from it. So so that's 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 my only a requirement of myself, and uh, I think it's. I think uh, that's
0: a good rule to live by. I, I, I mean, why I mean, not? I, yeah, you can't really mess that up. Why? Why not? Why not? You
1: do that if everybody does. If that. everybody, that's not. It's 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 not a matter of if I do it. It's if everybody does yeah. it, oh my gosh, then every every day becomes a little brighter and a little uh, cheerier and a little. Just every day, mm. that happens. Yeah. So, And by the way, that can manifest on many levels. Are you, are you raising your kids right? Mm-hmm. Are you? That's a victory for humanity, because your kids continue on, and, they, and they'll be around after you're dead, and you want that to work out. Mm. Um, did you learn something today that you then applied to your job or to your treatment of others? So, oh, yeah, yeah. And you, uh, you, you just recently lost your father. I, yes. I yes. Like, that, like like just two weeks ago, just yeah, over yeah, thank the holidays. Yeah, yeah. I'm very yeah, sorry yeah, thanks to hear for that your...
0: He. I read
1: his obituary in in the Times. Uh, sound like an amazing man. Yeah. He was. You know. The what was odd to me, not odd, but I noticed it as what I should say. Growing up, is here. Here's my father, who was a sociologist by training, and he cared about the human condition. And he was active. Right in the sweet spot of the civil rights movement where, you know, will these protests lead to legislation or just bloodshed or water cannons? You know, what, how, and will there be a riot or not? You know, these are, this is the powder keg that was the 1960s going on as a side story to the fact that we had a hot war in Southeast Asia and a cold war in Vietnam and campus unrest and all the rest. So here's his son who knows at a very early age he wants to be an astrophysicist that's just kind of weird and i knew it was weird but i there was never any pressure for me to be one thing or another it's not yeah i'm i'm solving problems in the inner city so will you my son that never happened never what my parents did was they saw what me my brother and my sister were interested in let that happen organically and then nurtured that interest yeah and your mom and dad before i mean before his passing we're married 62 years 62 years Amazing. yeah yeah my mother's 88 now he my father died at 89 and how she she's she's hanging in there yeah i mean she's bummed out i take it for granted that their minds were both intact yeah because there's so many diseases now of dementia and alzheimer's yeah. that the person is gone long before they're gone right and this is um that so here i am with two frail but Parents, you can still say, "Dad, what do you think of this?" or "This happened to me the other day. What's what's um, you know? How? What do you think of that?" And so, to get their perspective over the decades, I, I, I've always valued, and that became an important um, mission I now have to for my kids. I don't. They're not really interested yet. They'll have to be a little older before they care about my long view on decisions they make in their lives. Hmm was he your was he your hero? so i, I don't I, I tried not to have heroes oh, interesting because a hero what is a hero? um i a <laughs> That's hero a good question <laughs> <laughs> no, no I mean there's superheroes, another podcast there are superheroes and I, I like what Carl Sagan said about superheroes one day. he said, um he didn't like the idea of superheroes because they um they make the rest of us complacent because it's like Oh, there are problems in the world, the superhero will take care of it. And I'll sit back and watch that happen. Mm. And it's sort of you're you're abrogating your responsibility as a citizen with in a democracy, you have power over legislation, over who are the leaders. And so a superhero allows people to not have to take responsibility over their fate. And so so that's one objection to a superhero. But heroes in general. Um, what I here's what I did. I went around and said, "Oh, there's a scientist whose command of the universe I want one day." I'm, I'm a kid when I'm thinking this through. There's an athlete who has an athletic prowess in this in this in this field that I want to have that prowess. Oh, there's an educator who has such a way with words and sentences that you just are captivated by their by their storytelling, and you're learning along the way. What I did was assemble my role models a la carte. I staple those bits together and I say these are the things I want to be when I grow up. And what that means is if that were one person a hero and then if the person you know whatever did something bad or they get arrested then then oh my hero is, is no I don't I, I don't have a hero that I, I haven't left myself susceptible hmm. to the to the unrealistic mantle on which we place our heroes you're getting a little close to home there (laughs) just you who started this conversation a little
0: little close to home uh, just saying
1: doctor you doctor
0: maybe we should (laughs) open a bottle of wine at this point this shit is gonna be okay settle
1: down everybody i'm just saying whoa so so my my role models are are stapled together from bits and pieces (laughs) of people who i deeply respect and in that hybrid role model my parents are there yeah. as people who who had deep concern about the plight of others who are less fortunate than you. Yeah. And that I, is, is deep in me. I, it would have been so easy for me to not give a rat's ass because I'm just floating away with both feet in the clouds as an astrophysicist but I saw how much time and energy they invested. Both my parents. My mother would later become a gerontologist, um, uh, you know, expert in old people, and manage manage grants to nursing homes and people doing research to aid the elderly. So this is what they did. Yeah. And so that's that's in me, not as a career path, but as something that I don't know. I I can I'll never shake that. Yeah. That'll be a part of me, um, who has some concern about the plight of others. Yeah. And by the way, it doesn't require that you have parents like that to feel that way. I'm just saying that given my trajectory through life as sort of a geek kid, thinking only about the universe, um, without that, I think I would have been a more callous adult. Yeah.
0: I, I, I have... A few more questions, but I, I'm curious. Like, so these events you do, like the event you're doing here in Austin. it's oh, a, it at the a, center, it's a yeah. long center. it's yeah. a long center. It's It's a speak. You sh- you show up and open with a, a presentation, a speech. How, how, what's the format?
1: Yeah. So, um, thanks for asking. Because so, I know you go to Q.
0: Because I watched a lot of the Q and A stuff, which is just yeah. But well, have people like smuggle? You know, of yeah, None of this
1: is. But yeah, it's, I love
0: they, the they, dude who smuggles and or gets the device. He's filming yeah. and he's like commentating to the person he's sitting next to. That is the stupidest <laughs> shit. And you're like, dude, don't you realize that everybody on YouTube <laughs> is now having to listen to you too. I like it's not, not the band, but the
1: guy, anyway. So, so you open with a. Yeah, no. So uh, first I am astonished. Just, I cannot overstate this. I'm astonished that a theater venue can fill with people who just want to hear me talk about science.
0: Yeah, it's sold out. Yeah. So you cannot out. get a seat tonight.
1: It, it's sold out. It's a fact. That's you right. Cannot There's get no room seat. for you, sir. Just. You gotta know somebody. <laughs> yeah,
0: but when you texted me and you said you have to know somebody, and then you put a couple of lines behind it, I was like, Is that how these old people is that their emojis? I mean, was that like a like a like I got you covered or what My was text.
1: that? <laughs> so no, you're busy tonight. That's fine. You don't have to know about the universe. Um, so whatever you're doing, it's surely more important than the universe. Okay. Uh, so so no people come and it's a th- theater venue it's not a lecture hall right. it's not a but because it's a theater it means it holds many more than a lecture than a typical it was a lecture hall? at 300 600 at most right you know tonight you'll have 800 so tonight it's 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 2400 that's amazing people and so i'm no i'm not just standing there behind a podium talking i mean my whole body and soul is in this delivery yeah. and i'm sharing my deepest insights in my understanding and my field's understanding of the universe and how it matters yeah. to you, a citizen of this world, not a citizen of the United States, mm-hmm. a citizen of the world, a a member of the human species, because we know things as scientists that matters in decisions you're going to have to make when you vote for legislation or representatives or, or whatever active participation you take in governance there is hardly any important decision you're going to make that will not be touched by your literacy in science. Mm-hmm. And so I take this as an opportunity to bring as much science as I can to the public. And you made a point earlier about cancer and, your, and cells and DNA and, and from a bit that you saw that we had on Cosmos. I can tell you this, the universe does not stovepipe the sciences it does not draw lines in the sand between chemistry and biology it does not write different textbooks for itself it is all science Hmm. and it is all commingled there it's rather artificial that you call yourself a biologist and and she calls herself a, a geologist there there are microbes thriving in the rocks that you're studying there are there there's the chemistry of the clouds between the stars and in fact, to talk about these fields, we have to glue together the, the roots of the words of the different sciences. So there's something, there's a journal of cosmic chemistry. There is, uh, in fact, when astronomy merged with physics, we that birthed astrophysics. If you want to look for life in the universe, we have astrobiology. So there are all these new branches of science that are really Just recognizing that nature does not divide things up the way our textbooks do. Uh, In fact, it might just be a continuum of knowledge from biology clear through to the particle physics. And you know what you're going to say
0: every night, or do you just get up and wing it?
1: Oh, yeah, thanks for asking that. I have slides that I use and occasionally a video, and they cue me. They cue me. But I know I'm I, I'm an expert in this subject. So and they interact. They ask questions. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I try to save time at the end. Yeah. I, but sometimes yeah. I get excited and I and I talk. I give too many anecdotal stories, and there's no time for questions. But um, generally, people I like people to feel very comfortable. Okay. Like we're all in my living room together, and we're just just chewing the yeah. fat. Yeah, you
0: and 2,400 people. I mean, yeah, yeah. Like, and and people, cool that? the
1: people that, don't, that that speak up. You know, I'll toss a question out there and people will, so it's a little more participatory yeah. than you might think right. than like just that. a lecture, you yeah, know, like but um, yeah, we just, is we're having fun with the universe. Good. I came by a year ago, a year and a half ago. Um, the title of that talk was an astrophysicist goes to the movies and I showed movie clips where the producer, the director, the actor either got the science right or they got it wrong. And then we highlight what is the, the correct science. And, and everyone brings their own knowledge of movies to the table. I don't have to teach you what a movie is or whether it's your favorite movie. You already know. And so that was fun. This year, I'm talking about the cosmic perspective yeah, and like what it. role understanding how small we are in the universe can play in our capacity to save us from ourselves.
0: Hmm. Huh. What is the future of NASA? NASA.
1: Don't get me started. Okay, you know, just, okay. You, just I know, I know just, this is not just, a ten hour.
0: Hold me back. Hold, how long is this podcast? It, it it well, it's going to be as let long or short me. as you <laughs> want. But but, but it's, I, I, it you know, just just give me the cliff notes. I mean, you have yes, so, you have this tremendous program, and you
1: know. Let me remind people, if in case you forgot or never knew, NASA was invented because we were scared witless uh, about. Uh, I can say shitless, scared wit shitless, after Sputnik was launched by our arch rival, the Soviet Union. And Sputnik launches October 4th, 1957. Within a year, we create, cobbled together from little bits and pieces of the Air Force and some other programs, and we build in its own entity the National Aeronautics and Space Administration. So that happened to be founded the same week I was born so i feel nasa's pains and their joys i mean we are the same age and uh, and so so here we are, we build nasa and on the cover it looks like an agency for exploration yet what's funding it is we don't want the russians over our head with intercontinental ballistic missiles. That's what Sputnik was. It wasn't simply, oh, a little satellite beeping with the radio waves. Yes, it was that, but you know what It also it was? It was a radio wave transmitter, radio transmitter, inside the shell of a hollowed-out intercontinental ballistic missile. What a message that was. So the war driver kicked in. The I don't want to die driver kicked in. And we funded NASA like it was nobody's business. And we said, if we're going to beat Russia at their own game, they're beating us in all these. They put in the first satellite, the first non-human animal, the first human, the first They in every checkpoint that you would say who's a pioneer, Russia was beating us. Then we said, is there anything we can do? The moon. So we went to the moon because we were at war. Let's remind ourselves of that, please. Once we have that reminder, ask. What will motivate us to go to Mars? Well, will it be war? Sure. If China says they want to put military bases on Mars, we'll be there in 10 months, okay? With astronauts and military... Well, yes, I have no question about it. But absent a military driver, what's going to drive us? I can tell you that the urge to explore has never been sufficient to dislodge major allocations of human and financial capital towards a goal. Hmm. Economics does. If you find oil on Mars, yeah, we're going. Diamond mines on Mars, we're going. But that's not realistic. I'd like to think that maybe the very act of stimulating exploration by going to Mars or asteroids, or maybe you want to mine an asteroid. They're rich in rare Earth elements. If you pick the right asteroid, they're rare on Earth, common on certain selected asteroids. We need those for our industry. Um, if If we turn the solar system into our backyard, oh, my gosh. Imagine how much innovation that requires. If you want to look for life on on Mars, mine an asteroid. Oh, by the way, while you're out there mining it, can you figure out how to deflect it? We might need that ability one day, oh. okay? Oh, you, how about a Taurus jaunt on the far side of the moon? Have all these activities you're going to have to innovate because we don't know how to do any of it. Like, the engineers can figure it out, but in so doing, patents will be filed. Right. But that is not happening. No, it's not happening. But if it did happen, you will stoke an entire frontier of all the STEM field, science, technology, engineering and math, and those are the fields that are the engines of tomorrow's economy. You want to assure the future health, wealth and security of this country, and you want to try to do that without innovative investments in science and technology? You are you are you are living a delusional state. <laughs> so you're not bullish. I'm just saying saying we need to convince ourselves of why that's a good thing. If you find another way to stoke our economy that's cheaper, go ahead. I don't have a problem. But I don't know of one. I found NASA to be a kind of force of nature unto itself. Can I give a quick example? Sure. A simple example. You know those grooves that are in the exit ramps? of the many freeways they've only went in in the last decade or so and they prevent this car from sliding sideways if you didn't slow down as much as you should have coming off the freeway or if it's not banked as much as it should or if the turn is a little too tight there are grooves in the or, pavement or if it's wet especially if it's, it's wet. wet okay so uh, all right well do you know nasa came up with that and you might say you know what i did not know this. okay so you might say well why well they you, you groove the landing strips of of the space shuttle. So the space shuttle is a glider. It's kind of a passive glider as it comes down. It has some controls with the flaps, but it doesn't, it's not like the engines of a plane that they go into reverse thrust so that you can, they have much more control of a landing plane than you do of the landing space shuttle at the time. And so they put grooves in it, which prevented like crosswinds from pulling you off course. You stay the course, it stays right on center line on the landing strip. Okay. You might say, why have a $20 billion a year budget for NASA when you just get someone to invent that on their own? But they didn't. Right, right,
0: right. So everybody that's listening to this podcast, is they will never get off the freeway the same ever
1: again. Well, I hope not. No. So what I'm saying is as simple. I didn't even go high tech on your ass, no. okay? I stayed simple. And I'm saying grooves in the pavement. Right. No, I got it. You you didn't come up with that. Neil, I'm on until, your team. But I'm, you love space. I'm on your team. You love the space shuttle. I'm on your team. And you cared about the space shuttle more than about Joe Bob trying to exit off the runway. Right. I mean, off the off the off the freeway. Yeah. So all I'm saying is that when you have clever people on the frontier trying to solve problems that have never been posed before, all manner of patents and solutions come. Or, uh, come down off of that the, the pipeline. The
0: trickle down there is
1: tremendous. It is huge. It's not just simply spin-offs. That's too trivial. I could talk spin-offs like the safety and and of LASIK surgery, for example, enabled and empowered by the docking mechanism of the the shuttle to the to the International Space Station, okay? There's a laser centering system that's in place to make that happen. They can now do LASIK surgery reliably and cheaply without worrying about you jiggling your eye when they cut, they can stay They can stay tracked on. Well, this comes from NASA. I don't even have, to, I'm not even going to talk about spinoffs. I'm talking about the very fact that if you create a culture where everybody has to innovate, then you turn a sleepy country into an innovation nation, and that'll guarantee your future wealth going forward. And that's the country that I grew up in, in spite of all the problems that existed in this country during the 50s and 60s and 70s. Um, I don't want to belittle what those problems were but you deep down there were were people celebrating what tomorrow might be there was the world's fair there were cover stories in life magazine look magazine time magazine the city of tomorrow homes of tomorrow transportation of tomorrow food of tomorrow and everybody knew science would have to be brought to bear on that and technology and engineering and innovation and nobody that i ever spoke to heard of or read about in that day was saying I don't believe science. Science is not. No, I don't trust science. Science science is what's getting us to the damn moon, for goodness sake. And everybody knew it. I only have one regret. What?
0: And that was that for some reason, and I don't know why I didn't think of this, why I didn't ask you to wear a heart rate monitor before
1: no. the podcast.
0: <laughs> because you were cruising it like whatever you said at 60, 70. And the last, I asked I about you, NASA. don't
1: get me started. And he, he's here at like 150 now. I told you, don't get me started. Oh, speaking of heart rates. Uh, you, you can look up the heart rate of Neil Armstrong when he landed on the moon. Yeah, and I forgot what it was. But it was some like really low rate? Like it went up a little bit. There he is, like landing on the moon. Okay, these guys were good. They were good. These moon guys. Huh. They were handpicked. Okay, I want to change the subject. because
0: okay. I, I feel like you're about to start jumping across. Oh, so, the if, table. if
1: NASA has any future at all, we need to rethink what it means to go into space, and we can't just view it as we're at war. Let's not lose right. the war. And this economic argument is a little more subtle. It's not, oh, we need more scientists. Let's make more science teachers. Okay, now we solved that problem. No, you didn't. How about the motivation to be a scientist at all? Oh, let's make a program that gets kids excited about science. Did you even need such a program in the 1960s? No, because you were reading headlines about what science delivered to you every week. It was headlines. It was in the news. People talked about it. And so I think the next generation understands the role of science technology engineering and math in their smartphone. All right, their lives pivot on their smartphone. Pivots on it. Right. So, I think they understand this in ways that previous generations don't. Yeah. And so I can't wait till they they take charge. Okay, I want to go, go to the
0: Bahamas. I want to switch subjects cuz I, I know I mean, we are here in Austin. You at one point or you did some graduate work here at the University of Texas. You met your wife here at the University of Texas. You know, there was always and I don't know what the latest on this is, but it was always so compelling to me that there's this issue around textbooks, especially in the state of Texas, and ones that, that the kids get here in public schools or the ones they ship out to other states. But this idea of and there's a there's a, a, a commission or a panel here that decides what is taught in a science textbook. And of course, as you know where I'm going. The most you know the most important thing to them and the most controversial thing on on this issue is this idea versus you know create creation uh, versus evolution. Um, and so you know the the general I think the general vibe over there is that we cannot or they cannot allow those books to teach evolution.
1: So do you want me to react to that? Well, Cause that wasn't a question.
0: I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm sort of, uh, yeah. My, my, because okay, I, so I find, that, I, th- I think that's crazy. I, I, I'm happy to read
1: I, I think. Okay, let us remind ourselves that nowhere in the Constitution is education mentioned. And therefore, according to one of the amendments, forgive me, I forgot which, if it's not mentioned explicitly in the Constitution, that means it is the complete and utter purview of the states. So education is local in the United States. And that's not. The same for many other developed nations, where you can set up a national curriculum that has the benefits of the the best of the educating China, educator I mean, minds. Yeah. Exactly. So so education is local. So if Texas wants to teach creationism in lieu of science in the science classroom, they have the power to do so. Mm. Now, the reason why people pay close attention to Texas is because what goes in the Texas textbook. Texas is a huge market in the textbook marketplace. So they're a huge fraction of that marketplace. And so it affects what shows up in the textbooks of other states. My reply there is I I want to stand up in front of a publishers convention, okay? And say to them, could you guys could could you could you all just could, why Why must you do what Texas does? Hmm. Why don't you, you know, grow some gonads in this and make your own decision about what you know you should be doing as educators? All right? Make your own decision. Print a different book for Texas. If they want one with, with creationism in it, give it to them. But now you, now they have to sell that to Delaware? No, you don't. Right. Print another book. So you have this power and you don't. All right. They're cowardice in this. I, I will tell you here and now for a publisher to say we will make every other book in the country match the Texas book. They are publishing cowards. They do not have a, 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 a um, the, the courage of their academic and intellectual conviction. If they will just kowtow to whatever happens in one state versus another, wouldn't have to be Texas. It could be any other state. Texas just happens to be a really big state. So here's what I say. You want to put creationism in in the science classroom and present it as science. You have the power to do so. Mm. You should understand, however, that what you have just done is mortgage the economic future of your state (laughs) because the future of industry is going to be how scientifically literate is are are, are your is your citizenry mm. that is the frontier of all industries innovations in science and technology the frontier is not farming it's not it's not any of these other it is have you innovated those will be the growth industries going forward the growth sectors I should say yeah. going forward Generators. if you are training an entire generation of students who think that religious books about the origin of things is science, then they will not understand what science is or how it, how and why it works. What did Galileo when, say? Galileo said he said a lot of things. No, but the what? Oh, my favorite called, one is the uh, the Galileo said this. Now we're talking four hundred years ago, right. uh, and he thought about this and researched it. He about said, the, telescope. the, the no, he said the Bible tells you how to go to heaven, not how the heavens go. That's right. That's Probably right. not with a street accent. <laughs> it he, he, might, he, might have, he might
0: have been street accent from oh, the yeah, time. Man,
1: whatever with the equivalent, yeah, yeah. the Italian street. Um, and- Strada. <laughs> so, so just uh, industries won't move there because you will not have the trained population to sustain that. Yeah. So just be aware of those consequences, that's all. Yeah. It's a free country, think what you want. Yeah. But if you think it's science, I'm telling you right now, it's not and you are undermining the capacity of your state to innovate going forward and to be competitive with industry, and industry brings tax revenue to states. That's right. Just be aware of that. Okay. And then I go away, and I'm not going to fight you. I'm not going to debate you. I, that's not my interest here. Right. We live in a free country. Vote for who you want. Yep. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to ask one last question, mm-hmm. and it's and it's probably a
0: really serious, complicated question, but I, I have to know the answer. If And I think you... You believe that everything on this planet or in this universe is there for a reason, whether it's a butterfly, a human being, a bear. No, uh, I don't. I don't. Uh, belief is not the right word. Well, Let's, just, 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 I just, just go with it for a second. Oh no, but I, I
1: don't think that. That's okay. why. So I okay. Well, then let it. me,
0: let me rephrase it. What on earth
1: does the mosquito serve? What purpose? Yeah. What purpose does it? It's, that it's, it's fun eating for bats. I can tell you that. If you didn't have as many bats fly, I don't know if you still have them down. Well, at, yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. Aside
0: uh, from feeding the bats, I mean, this is <laughs> the,
1: this, is, <laughs> well, this that, is the worst this is part of the. It's part of the. It's part of the cycle of life, the ecosystem that animals. We we are we are part of a chain of life, and so the mosquito needs our blood or the blood of some warm-blooded creature. <laughs> And the, the mosquito becomes food for birds, for 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 bats, of which you have some countless billions, yeah. or the, we, we, gaz- we, no gazillions. We have the largest urban bat population in the world. When I was here, and I saw the bats coming out, and then I. Afterwards, went to visit, what's the famous one in Colorado? Uh, I mean, in California, Carlsbad Caverns. Mm-hmm. And I'm ready for all the bats to come out. And it, it was like not nothing like under right. your bridge here right. on Congress Avenue. Right. So I said, take me back to Austin. I used to row under that bridge. And we'd row it in twilight. And the bats would come out. And the bat guana would just drop on you. Oh, and nice. I have an afro. So it just holds on to whatever it hits. So at the end of the day, I'd have to like, comb it all out. I mean, it was. it was. But anyhow, um, <laughs> yeah, so as far as a mosquitoes is concerned. I just, I just hate You mosquitoes. exist. Yeah, it's a stupid for, question, but I hate exist mosquitoes. You for their food source. We began this conversation, right. but what's happening in your lower intestine? Yeah. So, yeah. Now, I'm about to host a panel back in New York on de-extinction. Hmm. If we have the power to bring back something that went extinct from by our own hand, uh, on our own hand, do we have the obligation to bring it back? If we can render a species extinct because we don't like it, Should we? Hmm. Should we get rid of every single mosquito that carries the Zika virus? If it takes out an entire subspecies of mosquito and renders it extinct because it doesn't fit our agenda, should we? Hmm. These are interesting ethical questions that we have yet to confront because it hasn't been an issue yet. If we could bring back the woolly mammoth, should we? I think not because the woolly mammoth was just fine during the Ice Age. And bring it back just in time for everything to warm up. That would just be cruel. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, well, where are we? Yeah, yeah. What the hell happened? Yeah. Take me back to the glacier. Uh, so, um, yeah. So all animals, all every life form in this world fits into the ecosystem in its own way. Yeah. Otherwise, it would be extinct now. Yeah. And many of them will go extinct because things change. And they no longer fit into the ecosystem, into the niche in which they evolved to thrive. More species are extinct. So there's like some high 90s percent of all life that ever lived is now extinct. (laughs) So Earth is not some cradle for life that nurtures all life. No, Earth is is a crapshoot. Oh, my gosh. And so, yes, a lot of life has gone extinct by our own hand. But most life that has ever gone extinct has gone extinct because of asteroids, uh, uh, climate change in the past, um, continents shifting, all manner of forces operate that leave you bare assed in the presence of a different environment that you that your species cannot adapt to. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: It's not like life will always adapt. No. Well, you know how life adapts? Life dies. Yeah. And if you happen to have a variation that is not killed by that new environment, you continue. Yeah. No animal adapts it's not how it works hmm. thank you very much sir
0: i, Dude. Knew, I know you gotta run you got get... we didn't
1: even talk about your wine okay well we can uh, oh my god we share we
0: have a shared common come back. love you 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 are welcome to love come back some wine you can come back anytime and and we'll drink wine crack some bottles here yeah. You
1: have got some bottles to crack
0: yeah i'll come up there and drink wine with you we can drink wine anyway Dude, so you're back on the bicycle i hear <laughs> a little bit
1: a little bit can i tell you my favorite uh thing i saw you in it was uh, it was a, a sports center commercial where all the lights go out with Dan Patrick. Well, I think that was it. it all, was the said, all the lights go out and say, "Why no lights go out?" And they go down down into like the engine room, and there you are, like taking a break, eating some candy bar. And they said, "Lance, come on, we need the lights." Okay, and then you start yeah. pedaling up again, and all the lights come back. We out. shot that commercial in about. I
0: mean, I walked in. I said, "That was fun." I said, "You have an hour." That was a one fun hour. Commercial. You know those spots you did for you did those for free. You know, so you did. But Dan yeah. Patrick's ended up. Uh, he was a great great mm-hmm. friend and good guy so uh, thank you for being here
1: yeah good yeah good, keep stay strong
0: uh, absolutely stay strong and right. uh, have fun tonight all right keep those 2400 people happy <laughs> keep them thinking <laughs> yep thanks for tuning in to the forward podcast like uh, like I said at the top of the show if you have anything you want to say, if you have a suggestion, please. God knows I need suggestions. Um, or questions or concerns or criticisms or whatever. Let me know. Send me an email. Send it to the forward podcast at weDoSport.com. I know it's long, I know it's a little confusing. The forward podcast at we do wedu sport singular. Com. The Forward Podcast at WeDoSport.com.